When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Lucky Let Cord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you Friday, July 23rd. We're here to talk about Olympic tennis, what we just saw in Tokyo. Naomi Osaka lighting the Olympic cauldron, a pretty special occasion for Osaka, a great moment for the sport. She's the first tennis player to ever light the Olympic cauldron. She joins a long list of sporting luminaries that includes Muhammad Ali, the great figure skater Yuna Kim, Wayne Gretzky, one of my all-time faves, the great one, and also Midori Itu. Lots of names on that list. A special moment for the sport, Naomi Osaka putting it front and center. Um, We're pumped to see her back. It's been a while since late May when she pulled out of Roland Garros, citing mental health concerns. A lot has happened since then. She's in this draw, and we're going to talk about the women's singles draw. We're also going to talk about the men's singles draw, which includes a guy by the name of Novak Djokovic, who just so happens to be going for the Golden Slam. And that's going to be interesting. He opens his quest for the gold, his first gold ever. Hasn't done that yet. One of the few things he hasn't achieved, he'll face Hugo Delian in the first round. We're here to talk about the draws. We're here to talk about Olympic tennis. Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now's editor, is going to join us right now. So sit tight, grab a beverage, and we'll see you guys on the other side. Richard, pleasure to speak with you. It's been since uh, Wimbledon. How you been? I've been doing good, and I'm, um, you know, looking forward to the Olympics. I just hope everything goes. I know we've had some stars, you know, out with COVID, so hopefully everyone stays safe and and we get a complete games. Yeah, that's true. There's um, there's a lot of stars missing if you want to look at it that way, and you certainly can. I think there are 13 of the current top 25 on the men's side out, seven of the current top 25 on the women's side out. But if you look at the races to Milan, you know, the actual top 10 players, I think nine of the top 10 women are in there in this draw. And the women's draw is pretty stacked as usual. I think seven top players, but we're missing Halep. We're missing Serena, missing some big names for sure. Andrescu, but a lot of big names on the women are in the men. It's different though, Richard, we don't have a Rafa. We don't have Roger. And, and a lot of the guys seemed um, to kind of want to preserve themselves and skip out on the Olympics this year. And we've seen that before. What do you think it does to the men's draw, the, 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 the lack of a few big names? Well, I think it puts more pressure on those guys who are close to Novak in the seedings, like Medvedev, Sitsipas, Zverev. Like the, you know, now the, it's a more open field, so you guys theoretically should go deeper. You look at someone like Rublev, who could potentially play Novak in the quarters, I think. That's so, correct. But I think it really opens it up for Novak. Like he should, the way I see the draw, he should definitely get to the quarters in that Rublev match. Um, I mean, he, he's got a real shot here, and he's got to feel really, if I were him, I'd feel really happy with the draw. 
Mm, yeah. Well, since we got, we're already on the subject of Novak Djokovic. Let's set the table. He's won the last three Grand Slams. He's the first man to do to win the first three Slams of a tennis season since Rod Laver in '69. And this week in Tokyo, he'll bid to become. He'll be get, He'll bid to win the fourth leg of the Golden Slam, and he's chasing right now Steffi Graf, who did that, achieved that feat in 1988. She won all four majors and the Olympic gold. Novak's really just having an amazing year, and this storyline I think makes up for a lot of the absences because all eyes will be on Djokovic in Tokyo if he can get through this tournament and bring home gold. First of all, it'll be his first gold medal that'll pad his career legacy even further, and then he'll be headed to New York going for the Golden Slam, which I think nobody saw this coming at the beginning of the season. We figured, yeah, Djokovic will run the table at the slams, probably win two, maybe three. But this is amazing. What are your thoughts in general about Novak Djokovic? A, making the decision to come, which we weren't sure about after Wimbledon, and then B, what he can potentially accomplish and what it'll mean if he wins an Olympic gold in singles. Well, it's just a phenomenal moment to be a tennis fan. I mean, I'm I'm mesmerized by what this guy has done. And as you said, right after Wimbledon, in fact, minutes after he won Wimbledon, he said he was 50-50. So we weren't even sure if this dream was going to be possible to continue the fact that he went. I'm really, really excited about it because we're going to see history unfold you know, right before our eyes. And if he does win this, like when Steffi Graf won in 88, the Olympics were after the U.S. Open. So in a way, it makes the U.S. Open even more special and 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 just more historic if he wins here because he'll be the first guy to try to win the Golden Grand Slam, you know, at the U.S. Open. That's never happened. She won it when the Olympics were after the U.S. Open. So it really sets us up for a great, you know, and the other storyline, I guess, if you want to look at the women, Osaka coming back, uh, for the first time since Roland Garros, oh, yeah. all the controversy and the covers and also the pressure of playing at home, even though there's not going to be crowds. And the fact that they've, I mean, she's a favorite among people who are betting on the Olympics. I was looking at the uh, some of the sites today, like betters are really backing her to come through and to just come in cold like that with no matches. It's going to be it's going to be tough for her, but at the same time, you know, you look at her draw, I think she's got a better draw than Ash. I got a little sidetracked there, but I think Novak is really, you know, it's, it's the, you could say it's the story of the Olympics. I mean, this is a really, really huge thing. As you said, he'd only won the bronze uh, previously, and then also the heartbreak of the Del Potro loss in the first round in Rio five years ago. I mean, that's an anguishing loss. That's got to be one of the most painful losses of his career. So to really be able to come back now full circle five years later and do it for himself and do it for Serbia, he's a really patriotic guy. I think it it, it, it would just be brilliant for the sport to see it. Yeah, I was... Uh, um... And I, I'm laughing when you said you got a little ahead of yourself because Naomi Osaka, yeah, we're going to get to her. Lots to talk about. We'll switch over to that subject in a few minutes, but let's stay with Novak for a while. Patriotic, yes. I'm, I was actually surprised to see that he wasn't the flag bearer for Team Serbia, um, but I don't think it matters. I think um, we know how important he is to that nation. We know how they are behind him, how excited the Nole fam is, and how excited tennis is to see Novak Djokovic chase history. It's going to make these Olympics so very interesting. Um, and we'll talk specifically about his draw. He opens with Hugo Delian of Bolivia. That should be a relatively easy match for him. Although, let's let's put it this way. There's not going to be anything that's really simple. When you're coming off winning Roland Garros 
end Wimbledon in the span of a couple weeks, and just a couple weeks later, you're back on hard courts playing best of three sets. Hugo Delian might just be a little bit of a challenge. I mean, there's a lot of adjustments to be made. I hear it's slow conditions, very hot in Tokyo. But if we look forward to his path to the gold medal, he'd face then the winner of Jan Leonard Struff and Thiago Montero in the second round. And then third round, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina is the slated uh, is the seeded player that he'd be slated to face. And then if he gets to the quarters, it'll be more complicated with, as you, as you mentioned, Andre Rublev, who faces, by the way, Kane Shikori in the first round. Right, right. Kane Shikori, who was a medalist in, in Rio, who's at, on his home turf, that's going to be a really great first rounder. Absolutely. And I'll just p- proceed with Nove's, uh, Nole's route to the Golden Slam. If he gets past Rublev, gets to the semis, he's looking at a potential matchup with Alexander Zverev. He's lost to him twice already. It's, it'll be a big opportunity for Zverev if he gets there. It could also be Hubert Hurkacz or uh, Aslan Karatsev is also in there. And then in the finals, it could be potentially Daniel Medvedev or Stefano Tsitsipas. But as you talked about, pressure will be on those guys to come through. There's almost a little bit of a Miami vibe in this tournament with a lot of big absences, big names. We're expecting guys like Medvedev and Tsitsipas to pull their weight and to make this uh, event interesting. So the draw for Novak, pretty good, but but not not a cakewalk by any means, especially once he gets to the quarterfinals. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think it's not a cakewalk for sure, but at the same time, compared to what he faced in Rio, where he was ousted by Del Potro, oh, yeah. I mean, you breathe a huge sigh of relief when you see the first round this time around if you're a Novak fan. And also among the other seeds who are like the, the, the next group of contenders, you know, you could look at a Sitsipas TFO rematch, you know, and that, and Tifo obviously beat him at Wimbledon. That could be a second round if they both win their first round. But I think someone like Medvedev, if it is slower, I think that's going to help Medvedev. I think he's going to be very dangerous here. And also the other thing you, you know, you'd have to point out is Novak in Asia traditionally plays really, really well in Asia. Got a phenomenal record in Asia. And I think he sees, look, he said it himself at the presser earlier today, you know, history is on the line. It's within sight. He's put himself in a position to achieve something no other man in the history of the sport has done. And I I think he's going full gusto for it. Yeah. But but given that, I think, you know, it's not an easy task. Right. Sometimes we make it, we, we, we know how incredible Novak is, but sometimes we make it out to be even... Um, easier than it. he makes it look easy. It's not like he's just it's just snapping his fingers and winning these matches. Um, it, it's going to be challenging. There will be bumps along the way, and he's going to have to be on his game and be really. You know, he might have to suffer a little bit to win some of these matches. It, it might not be especially as, easy as you said, if the heat and also the lack of the crowd, it could work either way. It's hard to predict. I mean, you could say, "Hey, the sterile conditions, it'll be better for him. He can stay calm. You wouldn't see like a U.S. Open sort of freak out moment." But on the other hand, he's great at drawing energy from both pro Novak and anti Novak crowd. You've seen him just silence crowds with some incredible play, lifting his level. Even even the classic Wimbledon final against Federer, where ninety five percent of the people were for Federer. He was able to use that. So it's it's hard to know really what the lack of, but I think to me that's an interesting variable to watch, just how they're able to sort of pump themselves up without without a crowd. And then, of course, the finals, best of five sets instead of best of three. So that's another factor, and he's phenomenal in best of five matches. It's not true, actually. I, I've, I'm going to... It's not true. It's, it's, wow. be, it's, it's best of three. I looked it up last night. I was really because I was looking at the Olympic website and they had best of five. I had um, 
I was on. We have to verify this now, but I was on the ITF no, website. No, 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 I believe you. I believe, but I read it on their site. Okay, I was on their site last night and um, surfing everything, just kind of getting ready for this podcast. And there's a thing that I tweeted actually. I couldn't believe it. It says, "No, we're switching the best of three this year, and the doubles are going to be match tiebreak in the third set as well." Wow! So I'm glad you said that. I had no idea they changed that. There are some. Um, some differences and that that definitely would change that's a big difference yeah that's a big that's a big change it'll change the dynamic of a potential final i you know novak's the king of winning masters he's got 36 masters 1000 titles all of those most of those i think have been best of three so it doesn't seem to matter we maybe we make a bigger deal out of it than it actually is yeah, but still, you feel over the over the length of time, and I think if you look at the recent gold medal, I know Rio was four sets, and I think the pro, no, the pro, uh, straight sets was London, but yeah, I don't know. I just think the cream rises to the top if you give him more time, and also he's just so good coming back when he's down. If you look at the Musetti match, or obviously the Sitsipas match from Paris, he's just so good at figuring it out too. So, I whereas to me, best of three, like you have one, you know, bad serve game, maybe you throw in a double fall, or you get a neck court against you it's more uh it just seems like the it's more pressurized because there's there's less time to turn it around Mm -hmm. just to clarify you know like you said he's he's been great in masters and that's best of three so it it, maybe it shouldn't matter it shouldn't matter just to clarify this kind of surprised me last night i didn't know it that's why i tweeted it and i've got 41 retweets so i hope it's not wrong hope i'm not clipping no i think you're right i mean because i was looking at their site this morning and it said except for it specifically said that i was like wow it, it says here, there's a Q&A. Has anything changed from the format since Rio 2016? Yes, in both the men's singles and all doubles draws. For the first time, the men's singles gold medal match will be best of three tiebreak sets final, having previously been best of five. Doubles matches will also be best of three, but in Tokyo, the third set will be a match tiebreak to ten. Wow. So keep that in mind. That's going to yeah, be a decade changer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That just altered me. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big significant change, of course. Yeah. Alternate reality. So, right. Um, regardless, it's going to be it's going to be an amazing week, and I think the point being that those thirteen top twenty five players that are missing, yeah, they'll be missed, and they have all chosen to miss the Olympics for various reasons. Some got COVID, unfortunately, like Alex Dimonor. Um, others just want to rest and rehab and be ready for the U.S. Open, and I think it's it's fair to take a look at those absences and realize that there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of travel that tennis players have done. I asked Kevin Anderson a question at the Hall of Fame Open, and and he talked about how a lot of the Olympic athletes are training. They're periodizing their schedule for the Olympics specifically for four years. They haven't been traveling around on tour in bubbles for the last year. They've been just gearing up for this one event. That's why they don't miss it. Tennis players, a whole different priority set. There's no rankings points. There's no prize money. And they've been in a bubble for a year. So I do understand why some players 
kind of are declining the invitation to play. It doesn't make a lot of sense, especially given the glory that they that's on the table for them, for someone like a Monica Puig that we saw in Rio, and all these players to win gold and build their legacy. And, and you think about the endorsement opportunities down the road. I wonder if a lot of them think about all this, but I can understand what they're going through in a very difficult year to have to travel to Tokyo, then to North America, potentially back for Shanghai, which we don't know if that event's going to happen, and then potentially back for Indian Wells all in the span of three months. It's rough. It's really rough on the body. Just your recovery. Just think about when you go across country. Sometimes it's at the recovery time, and they're going across continents. Yeah, it's. I don't blame anyone who has skipped, especially given the conditions there, especially given the concerns and the fear that there could be an outbreak there. So yes, that's another thing. No fault. I mean, it's a tough. It's a tough call, but you can understand why people wouldn't want to go. Yep, definitely. You're right. There could be an outbreak, and, and there are a lot of players are probably thinking, I don't want to miss the U.S. Open because of this trip that i'm already on the fence about so maybe i'll just you know and also paris is a little closer the 2024 olympics are three years away not four so some yeah, players are that's thinking, a good point yeah i think some people are targeting that and thinking it'll be a little bit more comfortable doing it in europe because the tour is kind of in europe after wimbledon um so they're just sort of you know picking that spot and i can understand it i worry about the status of tennis as an olympic sport i hope that it sticks around because it's really been fun i've, I've been hooked i've gotten more hooked each year in 2016 for me was like peak enjoyment emotional suspense and i just can't it was my favorite tournament maybe of like that season and yeah I, it's the passion and the also the crowds they bring so much to it and also i think in the recent olympics if you think even going back to the year burditch upset federer we've seen some really really seismic upsets there where players just come out or nicholas masu obviously when he won both gold and singles yeah. and doubles you mentioned monica Pri. you know so you just see players just get totally empowered and take it to another level emotionally but also just just the level that they can produce so i i'm totally with you on that yeah, and Andy Murray comes to mind in 2012. Right. He was heartbroken after losing the Wimbledon final. Then he just absolutely demolished Feder on center court and went to the U.S. Open and won it, and then the monkey was off his back forever. It was an amazing turning point for him, and I think some there's that's out there on the table for some players, potentially a Medvedev or a Tsitsipas, guys who have been to slam finals and lost, guys who have faced Djokovic often at the slams and never defeated him there, but have defeated him elsewhere. This is like a really nice stepping stone, a proving ground for some players. And even if they don't get past Novak, a good performance by a guy like Tsitsipas, say he takes home a silver, could really help him moving forward. Yeah, and I agree also, if you look at, at Medvedev and Rublev, how passionate they were during ATP Cup and the two of them, I think, it, I think it is really special and meaningful for them and also that the Russian flag can't be there because of you know everything that's gone on. So I, I think it is sort of a proving ground for them, and I think both of those guys have shots to go. It's interesting to me, Murray, now he's really the focus because Kanta and Evans both had to withdraw, but he got such a tough draw with Felix in the first round. That's yes. going to be a tough one to negotiate. And also in doubles, he's playing with Salisbury, I think, and they have the number two seeds. They have uh, they face the Frenchman. Yeah, Mahoud and, and, and Herbert, first round. So, But you'd like to see Murray kind of recapture the magic as he has so often there. It's just he's got two tough draws. Yeah, yeah, I was going to hit on that, that match against Felix. And, um, Felix Ogiali's team absolutely demolished Murray at the U.S. Open. 
And that was after Murray had just played a five-setter, though, and he was really kind of, I would say, running on empty potentially at that point. And this could be a very different matchup. So maybe we'll that could be the match of the first round. Definitely one of the three or four popcorn first-rounders, the other ones being, I think, Medvedev and Bublik, which is a pretty fun first-rounder. Yeah, fun one. We talked about Rublev and Nishikori. I'm not sure what what else is really out there for well, them. Murray's in Murray Felix little section, like the winner of that, you could be looking at Carino Booster or Chilich or both. I mean, they're both good players on hard court, and Chilich has got started to get it back going again. And obviously, um, you know, Carino Booster coming off his first 500 level win, even though it's on clay. I mean, those guys would be both dangerous in that little section. Yeah, Pablo's an underrated player. I think he's, yeah. he's one heck of a player. He's going to be around. Um, I guess uh, other ones I'll be curious to see in the first round. Lorenzo Musetti will make his Olympic debut against John Millman. He'll be proudly um, wearing the Aussie flag. That should be fun. And, and Hercotch and uh, who does Hercotch play? Oh, he plays uh, Fuchovic. Doesn't he play Fuchovic? Correct. Hercotch? Correct. That's a, that is a good one. I hadn't circled that one yet, but now I will. Good one. Thank you, Richard. Well, like you said, the Miami element with Hercotch winning there, you know, but both of them had solid Wimbledons and stuff, so that would be. You know, Karatsev, Tommy Paul, like two totally different styles. That 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 could be an interesting one as well. Yeah, think about how far Aslan Karatsev has come from oh out of nowhere. You never would have guessed this guy would be in a, playing the Olympics this year before the Australian Open, and yet here he is. He's seated. Seated also. <laughs> seated at the Olympics, you know. Yeah, it's been a, a remarkable story for him. I hope he keeps it going. He could be dangerous. And we'll also see him in doubles as well. I think... Um, yeah. He's he's partnered with uh, Medvedev, which should be interesting. Well, how about Monfi? Like no honeymoon, you go right to Tokyo, and Monfi's playing doubles with Shardy, I think. Yeah, that'll be. Uh, I I really would love to see a little bit of a resurgence from Monfi's too. That would be nice. He's got Ilya Ivashka in the first round, but as we mentioned, I think the biggest takeaway is that Novak is the big storyline. But by no means will there be a lack of storylines, even though a lot of players are absent. We know what the Olympics do for tennis players and what, what it provides emotionally. I, I expect it'll be fun to watch from start to finish. So, you know, get your popcorn ready is all is all we're saying, right? For sure. For sure. How about the women, though? Um, I think the first place I want to start was with Naomi Osaka because this is... I just actually watched the first episode of her Netflix documentary, and I was like in tears. It, it really hit me hard in light of everything that's gone on with her in the last month or two, how I think it's so important that we don't beat her up, that we that tennis specifically has her back and supports her. You don't have to baby her. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to like, you can believe what you believe and feel what you feel around her, but it's no, there's really no room for taking shots at this woman. She's clearly... She's a she's a legend. She's a four-time Grand Slam champion. She's been through much to get where she is, and she's gone through some hard times, and I feel like this is a really, really important moment for her, and I feel like if she can potentially win this gold, it, it would maybe be her greatest achievement yet. Given how she's coming in, as you mentioned, Cold, what she's gone through to get here, it would just be a show of this amazing strength that, that she has. We know she has whether she wins or loses, but, I mean, all eyes are going to be on her. No fans, as you mentioned, but so much pressure with Naomi Osaka now with so many people out there tuned into her story and judging her on both sides of the fence. I think it's it's going to be incredibly compelling. It's going to be 
like suspense theater for tennis because, like you said, everybody everybody has an interest in her, whether you're really for her, whether you're not for her, whether you think it's too much politics, whether you think leave her, you know, people have, she's uh, the kind of player where nobody's indifferent on her. Like, you have a reaction about her, and I think that's great for tennis because it really makes her matches must-see. And like you said, four-time Grand Slam champion, let's not forget she's won the last two slams on a hard court. This tournament is on a hard court. I mean, she's going to be super, super motivated. It's just the lack of match play, basically missing the last two majors, although she played the one match in Paris. It's a big, big adjustment to just jump in. And like you said, the pressure, you just don't know how she's going to respond. But having said all that, I would definitely prefer to be where Osaka is in the draw than where Barty is. Not to say Barty can't go deep and win, but I just think Osaka's draw is a little bit kinder at the outset. Absolutely. She's got uh, Zheng Saizai in the first round, very winnable. I mean, all good players, of course, in this draw. And then she gets the winner of uh, Maria Camilla Osorio Serrana and Victoria Galibic. Galibic has been in good form. Could be tricky if she potentially faces either one of those. Both have been in good form. And then potential what third rounder with Kiki Burtons who's playing her last ever tennis event that's that's something to to uh, keep an eye on her she faces uh, Von Drusova in the first round um, then potential quarterfinal with Iga Sviantek which could be very complicated for Osaka yeah. and of course it gets more complicated as you get into the later rounds but why do you think that Naomi's draw is much easier than Ash is just based on yeah I mean to me I to me I agree even the first round for Ash, I mean, I think she's going to win the match, but Cerritos Tormo is a really, really tough grinding player that will not give you a point. And like you said at the outset, if it's the hot sort of conditions, there, she's going to make you sweat and make you work. I realize Ash has a lot more shots. She's obviously got a much bigger serve. But if you saw Cerritos Tormo at any point this year, I mean, she's a hardcore competitor. She really, she can really physically take it out of you, even if you win the match. So I just think the first match initially is a tough one. And Savastova, you know, we've seen what she can do as far as hardcore. You've seen her at the U.S. Open, how deep she can go. That's potentially the second round. And to me, Pavlyuchenkova is one of those players that when she gets hot, obviously – in Paris, you saw what she, but she's a really dangerous player on hard courts because she can play so big and so flat. And you get her going to the Barty backhand with the power she can bring. That's a tough match. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, for me personally, I think it's going to be very tough for Barty to replicate that Wimbledon format. And that was a pretty amazing high she got on. I, it's going to be it's going to be tricky for her to kind of come back down to earth and be grounded and, and to be fit enough. Same challenge that Djokovic faces. Uh, I, I'm not picking her to, to really be a winner of this gold medal, but then again, I shouldn't put it past her. She's number one for a reason, right? I mean, other people in yeah, that. Yeah, and she has all the shots, but I mean, just to pick up on your point, like she said right after she won Wimbledon, she thought she was 50 50 for Wimbledon or less because of the hip. Like, you don't know. I mean, she was fine, or she looked fine, I should say, at Wimbledon, but you just don't know. A hip is, I mean, you go into a hard court from a softer surface, you know, anything could happen there. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, I certainly wouldn't rule her out for the title, but she's not the one that comes to me. I, I'm looking at players. I'm kind of on this Olympics as springboard sort of um, train of thought, and I've got uh, Sabalenka, a player who's been got so much closer to that breakthrough at Wimbledon, but still needs to gain a little confidence. This could be a good event for her. I feel the same way about Maria Sakari. Um, playing for Greece, you know, she's going to be inspired. You know, she's going to bring that Spartan mentality. She she really showed me a lot at Roland Garros, she, losing in the semifinals, holding a match point against Krachikova, who's another player to watch. I've also got my eye on uh, Garbini Muguruza, who I think 
has played so well over the last 52 weeks and hasn't really been rewarded in terms of big-time results. There's also the Czech flag bearer, Petra Kvitova. So there's so many big names in the women's draw just scattered all around. Yeah, and I agree with you on Garbine. You figure she's played so well for so long. She's due for a result, although her first rounder against Kuder Mato, that could be a really tricky match. And then, like you said, Kvitova's in her section too. But I agree with you on on her, I think she can really do um, do some damage. And then another first rounder was Benchich Pagula, you know, because yeah. I think that could be a really. I think either one of them, if you know, whoever wins that match, could go on and, and do some damage. But Krajikova also in the doubles, she's top seed in doubles. I mean, you look at someone that could win medals in singles and doubles. I mean, she's red hot right now. She's the hottest player. Can make a case outside of Barty in in the sport right now. Yeah, I think it's what twenty out of twenty one matches on the same. At the last twenty one, yeah. amazing. Three of the last four tournaments, I think that she's played. She's won, and she had a really respectable Wimbledon after not being able to really prepare for Wimbledon. So yeah. she's she's uh, you know obviously career year. She's someone you really got to watch. What a story, right? Um, yeah, Ega's been one I'm interested in as well, and just I because I always am. She's such a rising talent. She's such a um, just a crafty, clever, talented, explosive has a, has all the tools, and she's. I think she's done a great job backing up her, you know, her breakout moment at Roland Garros. Even though she hasn't been back to the semis of a slam, she's been steady. She's been focused. She's she's won titles. She's. Um, I expect a lot from her on her Olympic debut as well. Yeah, and also that she's one of the best best athletes, just pure athletes in the field. And like you said, she's got a hard court title under her belt now and she has the weapon she has the forehand she could serve she's a really good mover and uh you know she as a junior olympian that she's spoken about how how much pride she took from that experience so i I could see her definitely winning a medal i mean she's she's going to be really really pumped for this tournament yeah do you have feelings one way or the other about who 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 might be on the podium for either uh, for the women specifically actually I mean, I like Osaka's draw. It's just what concerns me is that you, when you just haven't played for that long, it's just hard to go in and turn it on. I mean, I know Serena's done it in the past, but I, I mean, that would that really concerns me. You just don't have the match play. You have one one or two sloppy serve games. It could be over. I like what Iga what Iga has in front of her. If she plays to her level, I think she can she can win a medal. You mentioned Sakari is one to watch, but I would think um, I would think Mugu is due. You know, it's mm-hmm. just. Don't know because she plays so flat. If she's a little bit off, you know, if she's on, it can go great. If she's a little bit, you know, off, it can be problematic. But I just think you made a really good point where you said for all she's done and the level she's played, you almost feel like she's due a big result, that something's yeah. got to go her way. You know, but she doesn't have an easy draw either. That first round is tough. Nope. And after- but I think also she's playing doubles with Carla, Carla Suarez Navarro, who opens against Anastasia. Really tough draw, but they're playing yes. doubles together, and I think that maybe that that really inspires her. It's a really close friend. She wants to do big things with her together. You know, that could be another factor. Yeah, this there's going to be surprises. I think the I think the women's I think there's going to be one woman on that podium that's going to be a complete shocker. I don't know who it is. I just yeah, who would have who would have thought Monica Puig would have been the gold? Nobody. One really of the most picked. remarkable title runs we've seen. Yeah, so you can't, you just can't say. I mean, even the draw, it's tough. It's just really tough. Yeah, it's hard. It's it is hard to say. You know, it's funny because you compare it to the men's draw, where it would be really shocking to me if Novak didn't get to the final. Whereas in the women's draw, I I can't say that about any player, even though Barty's been a you know the solid. 
you know, definite confirmed world number one. It's just she has a tough draw. And like you said, coming off that Wimbledon, you just wonder emotionally if there's going to be a letdown or even physically. Yeah. It's hard to say. No, no, yeah, no, it's really exciting. I can't wait to see how these – I can't wait to see where we're at at the third round of the, of this women's draw because – well, it would be interesting to see if all the seeds can power through, but I think there'll be surprises. You mentioned Sevastova. She's so crafty. She could potentially be on that podium. Um, yeah, and Anshapur has had a really, really good year, too. Mm-hmm. It's players like that who can just mix up the spins. We don't really know the core. I mean, like you said at the outset, it, they're saying it's playing slow, but you just don't know how it's going to accept the spin and all that until you see a few matches played, so it's kind of hard to project, but... But there's a lot of players there that can really move the ball around. It'll be fun. Yeah. I just, going back to Naomi Osaka, just like um, it, it's it's heavy on my head right now after watching that documentary and that, that moment she shared with Coco Goff after their match at, I think it was the third round in 2019, the documentary kind of like focuses in on that moment. And what a good person she is and really what a good heart she has. And I think... She's a little bit misunderstood right now in the public eye, which is unfortunate. And she's going, I, I really do believe, I was watching that footage of her after defeating Serena in the 2018 U.S. Open final, her pulling that visor down low over her head and close to tears and really being uncomfortable with the situation. And you realize this is not a joke what she's talking about. She really is a person and a player having struggles. And I just feel like we you know tennis we're in this world together we're so close to these players i mean half of the half of the documentary is us in the press room talking to naomi osaka by the way which i thought was a little bit ironic but yeah that is um, that is there's a lot of great information that has come out of those press conferences from her she talks so eloquently about all these things but she's a player that's been in a difficult situation so i hope that the the tennis world gets behind her and that she has a positive experience whether it's a gold medal winning a match, whatever it is. I just hope that we get her back, um, and, you know, top flight and, and comfortable with her tennis career again because um, I feel like it's a really critical juncture of her career. I don't, I don't know. Do you, how do, you, do you have feelings this way? I do think it – I wouldn't say critical. I think it's crucial, but I think she's young enough, even if she wanted to just take time off, even if she wanted to say, look, I just really need a break. Like, I need four or five, six months just to – I think that's fine. She's young enough – where she can do that. And the also other thing that really gives me optimism about her is kind of what you spoke about earlier, that she's come so far over the obstacles she's already had in her life to get to where she is right now. uh, It's just a tremendous achievement in her life that she's been able to achieve what she's been able to. And I think she can use that as strength when she reflects on, you know, what she's going through right now, obviously some real tough times and also a lot of social media criticism and just regular media criticism. I think if she looks back to how she was able to weather everything she has to get to here, she knows she's got that internal strength. She has the belief. She's human like everybody else. She's going to have those really down times. And I didn't understand how deep the depression, the anxiety was. I think that's eye-opening for a lot of people. But I, I think she's done it in her life and she's done it repeatedly. So I have confidence she can do it again. And if she's not Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. If she's not right mentally, if she really feels, she, I, I would really hope she would take a break because we've seen it break a lot of superstars. Bjorn Borg is an example. He never really came. He had one brief comeback. He was never the same. I'm not yeah. saying it. Depression, but he had other issues. But it's you just got to be able to walk away. Yeah. And I think she's strong enough to do that. If it came to that, I hope it doesn't. But if, if that's what it came to, I, I would hope she would be able to do that and then come back. And I know she would be able to come back because she's done it. Yeah. I just hope she has a really strong filter because there's so much hate out there. There's so, yeah, much, there's really, so much BS and reactionary people that don't even know what they're talking about. Me- know, Megan Kelly, like, who cares? There's so much crap like that, and it's frustrating. And I just hope that her, her Naomi and her team have a nice filter and just can block it out and know you that know, they're on the good I think social media is a beautiful thing because it connects so many people, but it just really, really frustrates me when you see people like that and they just treat a human being like a pinata where you're just going to beat another one to jump in with a stick and start hitting her like that, that's just wrong. I mean, you wouldn't go up to her in real life and start saying that. Don't feel like you can do it from behind a key. Like, don't feel like you have a license to beat on someone like that. It's not right. Yeah. And think more before you disagree with someone because you don't know the the depth of their struggles. And, and a lot of people think she's not for real, you know. Right. Right. And if you're we not don't a doctor, know. who are we to say? How do you know? How do you know? You just don't know. You haven't lived your life. You don't know what's, I mean... Yeah, depression, it's real. I mean, you sh- people shouldn't make light of it, but, you know, that's how it goes. Yeah. I mean, you get better treatment if you have a blister on cord or if you tear a toenail off than if you have a... Me- it's almost sick if you think about it. It's true. And I just hope that tennis... Uh, that's the point I was trying to make, and I didn't make it very with much clarity, was that I hope that from the inside, tennis... Take, for example, Roland Garros with the opportunity to deal with this situation in real time, didn't do a great job. They weren't very... Um, they weren't very kind to Naomi. They reacted a little bit harshly and were a little bit defensive. I think that everybody takes a deep breath inside the tennis community first and foremost and treats her well. I'm not saying to give her preferential treatment or anything. I'm just saying take time and and, and just make sure we get this right because there's, there's a serious issue happening with one of the top players, and, and, and it's a serious issue overall. But I guess enough about that for now. I wanted to ask you another question about the Olympics and the reputation that the Olympics have with tennis players, which isn't quite as good as maybe with the other athlete, athletics out there, like uh, tennis players will skip it. A lot of the Americans, like there's quotes by like Sam Querrey saying, a lot of my friends don't even know that tennis is in the Olympics. So it's not like a big deal. Like he, there's just silly, silly sort of uninformed they're comments. They're not big on them. <laughs> like, like, like Sam, come on. Like how can the people say they don't, I don't get that. <laughs> yeah. Have, have you read that? And, and people have had different takes on it. And I just wonder if, te- if you think tennis suffered from having that 64 year absence, no Olympics from all the way up until 1988, we missed out on Rod Laver being at the Olympics, Bjorn Borg, yeah. Chris Everett, Martina, I don't know if I don't even know if she ever got to go. She probably did, actually, given how long she stayed around. But we missed out on a lot of special moments. Uh, Jimmy Connors, John McEnroe, these types of players. We don't have those legendary moments where you know Borg winning a medal for Sweden. I wonder if that hurt the reputation of the Olympics, and and is that something we're still trying to rebuild a little bit? I think here, I can only speak here domestically because I grew up in the U.S., but I think it did because you didn't see those guys were responsible for the tennis boom in the 70s that really rocketed the sport in terms of popularity, but you didn't see them 
because there was no tennis in the Olympics at that time. At the same time, I think when you see like what Venus did at the 2000 Sydney Games when she won singles and doubles gold, and really I think that helped put it back on the map. But yes. even before then, when Capriati won it, won the gold as a really, and it was still an exhibition sport then. But I thought the Venus win was really big because she swept both, and she was a rising superstar at the time. And then you see both sisters with the four golds apiece. I think that's elevated it back, and obviously you talked about earlier the Andy Murray, the first run at Wimbledon. That was just huge for tennis because of the stage he did it on, because of the crowd and the players. He did it against Djokovic and Federer back-to-back, and also that tournament he won the silver mixed with with Laura Robson. Yes. Uh, I think Azarenka and Mirny beat them. But I think those moments, and also, you know, everybody remembers Del Potro, versus um, Djokovic, everyone was Rafa Del Potro, Del Potro Murray. So though I think that has elevated it again. Uh, I don't know, maybe in America we're just spoiled by so many sports. But yes. I know I've heard Venus and Serena both say when they were kids, they would watch the track and field, they would watch the gymnastics, they would watch... All- so I think if you're a sports fan, you know, you did grow up seeing it. But mm-hmm. like you said, the best stars weren't in it. Steve Johnson had a quote, too, that uh, there was a piece by Blair Hen- Henley in Tennis.com where Steve Johnson was quoted as saying, um, it's kind of hard to register because, you know, in America, fans are watching Michael Phelps win like 70,000 gold medals. They're not going to look at Steve Johnson and his bronze medal. But I'm thinking, doesn't matter, Steve, you're part of the Olympics. Get fired up and, and make your little moment because it will register with a few a few tennis fans, maybe more than a few. And so sometimes I feel like the games get slighted, but you made good points about Venus, Serena, legends that have won medals. Rafa has won gold. That helped bring it back. Rafa also winning doubles gold with Mark Lopez, right. one of my favorite moments ever. Roger didn't get it. Novak didn't get it. We might get one of those this year. So, And, then, and-, and I think to that point where I would disagree with Sam and Steve was, I mean, I remember being in an interview with Rafa where someone asked him, what's the toughest tournament? They thought he was going to say ATP finals because he's never won. He said the Olympics by far because it's only, you only have a shot every four years. And when you get there, the energy, the intensity, the atmosphere, it's so, you know, it's so electric that it's really hard to just keep that all into perspective and just focus on the ball and play. But I've heard him say that a few times that he considers it the hardest tournament to win. So even if you go there, you win a bronze or so, so what? You competed in the the world stage in the toughest tournament, you know, one of the toughest tournaments in the world. I think you should really take a lot of pride from that. But yeah. I don't know. To me, it's not always about what other people say. It's what you can draw from the experience. I mean, I've seen Venus say, I've been in pressers with her where she said she considers her Olympic gold more valuable than a Grand Slam title. That's how important it is to her. To her, you know. Yeah, and and I think there's another quote that I came across from Jack Sox says a lot of people, you tell them you won the title in Madrid, the Masters 1000, they'll know. What, What is that? And you tell them you got an Olympic medal, they'll know. And the yeah. Bryan brothers said the same thing. I think they were rolling Garros one year when their fire alarm went off back home, and they were the first thing they wanted to, to check on was their Olympic medals. They said everything else I, I don't care about. So I mean, there's a lot of Grand Slam trophies in that house, I'm sure. That was Mike Bryan, but so I mean, people recognize that Olympic that Olympic medal, and it has a lot of cachet, and it, the experience is just incredible. And the emotions don't lie. The emotions that we see with the players as they as they experience these moments, like thinking of Rafa and Mark Lopez, that was the most emotional I've ever seen him. I've never seen Andy Murray more emotional than he was winning gold at, in 2012 at Wimbledon. 
Yeah, that was totally, and also that was one of the greatest crowds I've ever seen at Wimbledon, just in terms of the exuberance and enthusiasm. I remember years ago interviewing Agassi's father when he did his book, his memoir, because he, he fought in the Olympics as a boxer, and when he said when Andre won the call, he was in tears. Like, it was really, really moving that my son could do what I did, you know, could rise up and win a gold medal. Like, he was just, blew him away. He said that was one of his favorite victories he ever had, yeah. you know, so... I think it really resonates with people when you get there. You know, the sad thing is this, from what I've read, is that they won't even have that moment where they put the medal. They're just going to have the medals there, and you got to put your own medal on. That kind of takes away oh, wow. a little bit. Yeah, this year's really I always like that when they put the medal around the athlete and you really see their emotion, but I, I guess they have to be careful because of COVID. Oh, man. Oh, you're killing me. You're killing me, Richard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. But, yeah, like I said, the, the emotions don't lie, and I think this year has been an incredible... Um, incredibly difficult year and i guess we have to like finish this conversation with andy murray just pointing out how important this is for all of us to have something in sport in tennis to kind of celebrate and we really need it right now delta variants coming back the world has not really come out of this pandemic it hasn't been a pleasant 18 months we got something to celebrate here so let's let's get into it yeah let's celebrate and let's also be unified that we can all get happier and healthier and sort of beat down COVID and just really come together. We're all fighting the same battle in that sense. And, and I think it's, it's, it's going to be a good Olympics. I hope, yeah. I hope everyone stays healthy. Yeah. Maybe it could be a turning point, you know, maybe it could mark yeah. it because we need a turning point at, th at this period. So yeah, that was fun. What else can you, what else do you want to add or need to add before we go? I'm giving you the floor for the last 60 seconds. Um, no, I think you've pretty much covered, you know, nothing off the top of my head. Thoughts about the U S open. Excited about anything? What are you hearing about the U.S. Open? Is it's going full capacity? Uh, crowd full capacity. I've been told media not full capacity, and also they're not going to do the. They're going to give the players the option. From what I was told about, you can stay in a private home or in a hotel. You're not going to be have to stay in the one hotel like they did last mm. year. And I know that'll be like players like Novak traditionally stay in Jersey or you know the yeah. suburbs. So that'll be welcome news for a lot of those players. It'll still be a bit of a bubble though. Of course, right? Yeah, yeah. No escaping the bubble. Yeah. All right, Richard. But, you know, here in New York, like the baseball games are full and stuff. So I think it's it's going to be a little. It's going to be better, but uh, you know, just hope for the best. It has changed a lot for the better. It looks a lot better on my TV screen. I'm just worried about that Delta variant now, as the numbers start to rack up a bit. That I just hope that we can get through this little t tough period, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Richard, um, this was fun. I'm glad we got into a 42-minute discussion about tennis at the Olympics. It was well worth it. And let's look forward to doing it again. Yeah, I'll see you on the other side. We'll be talking medals next time we chat. Yeah, yeah. you and Henry Rollins. <laughs> thanks, Richard. Okay, thanks. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Richard Pagliaro, as always, for joining and chatting about Olympic tennis. It's going to be an exciting week, you guys. Hope you enjoy it. Keep tuned with Tennis Now on the web. We're at www.tennisnow.com. You can find us on social, on Twitter, at tennis underscore now, on Facebook, facebook.com slash tennis now. And, of course, keep tuned to this podcast Open up your Apple Podcasts app, type in Lucky Let Cord Podcast, and voila. We'd love it if you rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. It means a lot. In the meantime, enjoy your tennis. It's going to be an exciting week. I think the Olympics is one of the greatest events we have in this sport where we can truly come together 
with the whole sporting community and put tennis on display. And let's hope it's a special weekend. We will talk to you guys shortly once we find out who's on the podium. Enjoy the tennis. Enjoy the Olympics. Take care.